Rich. Maybe I'll try. You can clip it. Okay. All right. So one of the things that I have learned through this work with the Presbyterian denomination as well as, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned quickly in passing there that the four years ago the PCUSA contacted you. Yes. That, that makes it sound like it was a recruitment of something. It was. How did they know about you? It was actually a recruiter firm that they had hired, who I had known from my work at Habitat for Humanity. One of the things that happens in executive recruitment is that somehow headhunters start paying attention to who you are, and they, if they hear, oh, this person over here is doing this. Um, so I was kind of on their list. And what they said to me when they called was, I know that you want to stay in Canton, Ohio, because when I worked at Habitat for Humanity International, I was at home in Canton, Ohio. When I worked at Outward Bound, I worked from a home office because I have never felt the need or call to move out of Canton. Yes. Yes. I've traveled a lot in all of those jobs. And so when they said, um, I have a job I want you to consider by any chance you're Presbyterian, I was really happy at Outward Bound, and when they said, are you Presbyterian, I said, well, now I have to talk to you. <laughs> I guess I'd better talk to you. So it, it's been a very exciting, very exciting work for me, very exciting to, to really see what Presbyterians are doing in the world. And, and the scriptures that have popped out, even in our study, this is one that, that I think in a class that Dave was teaching us, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are we his chosen people? In order that we proclaim his mighty acts. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. That's a mandate to us. Make known among the nations what he has done. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel. And my favorite part of this is, so let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven so that we have to let our light so shine so that our Father who is in heaven is praised. Because what will happen if we don't? If we don't tell the works of God, he says, if we keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so that is just to give you a little background of who I am and my call and the importance I feel that we all have and that any one of you can be up here talking about what God is doing in the world, how you have witnessed that. But what is he doing through the Presbyterian Church? What, you know, we talk about stewardship, what is that? It's really about our life. It's about how we come to walk closer with God. And, and I, what I wanna talk to you about is how we in the Presbyterian Church, when we all come together, we are so much better together. So what is the Presbyterian Church USA? 
I have a feeling that most of us in this congregation, most of the people in pews around the country who are part of the Presbyterian Church USA have no idea what that means. What is the denomination? Well, here is an, a, a structural graphic for you to see that we've got sessions, presbyteries, and the arrow says it's presbyteries who become delegates to the General Assembly, which is a biennial meeting. The General Assembly is a biennial meeting that presbyteries choose the delegates for. And then you'll see there are six different agencies that are part of the Presbyterian Church USA. There is the Office of the General Assembly. There is the Presbyterian Mission Agency, which is where I work. I work for the Presbyterian Mission Agency. Then you'll see there's the Presbyterian Investment and Loan Program, and that is the body that works with congregations who want to do capital campaigns or do buildings, and they loan money. They get money from us who want to make investments in that program, and then money is loaned out to congregations to do their building. Then we've got the Presbyterian Publishing Corporation, the Presbyterian Foundation, and the Board of Pensions. Those six agencies make up what we call the Presbyterian Church USA. A lot of people don't understand that, and it's very hard to understand. It's taken me a long time to figure this out. What I want to do is talk to you today about the Presbyterian Mission Agency and what our vision is. The, the vision simply is that we work to ensure that Presbyterians are joyfully engaging God's mission for the transformation of the world. And what is our mission? It's our mission to inspire, equip, and connect the PCUSA and its many expressions to serve Christ in the world through new and existing communities of faith, hope, love, and witness. And how do we do that? Whom do we serve? This was almost like, um, well, let's talk about who are we serving? Get out the napkin and let's write it down because you know how many wonderful things happen because you wrote it on a napkin. Well, the Presbyterian Mission Agency, with our mission to inspire, equip, and connect, serves Christ in the world. We serve the General Assembly. And then mid-councils, which are presbyteries and synods. You know, the names of all these organizations change every year, it seems. Seminaries, communities of mission practice, I'll tell you what that is. Mission networks. Those are groups of people who come together because they want to just make a difference maybe in a certain area, and they're like-minded, and so they become a network of communities. We have ecumenical partners in the world that we serve, and many other entities that we serve. Here is the organizational chart just for the Presbyterian Mission Agency, and what is circled says Hunter Farrell, Director of World Mission. So now I'm going from the PCUSA to the Presbyterian Mission Agency, and now I want to talk to you about what Presbyterians are doing in the world. Any questions so far? Because Tara can't. Is that better? I did that. <laughs> Rich said he doesn't know why we're on a boat. Actually, let's talk about how did the Presbyterian Church 
establish mission in the world. It's been 175 years. 175 years started in 1837 when actually the um, Pittsburgh Presbytery voted there, it started there to actually have world mission, Presbyterian world mission become part of what is considered the denomination or the General Assembly. And how did we do mission in 1837? In 1837, we had a boat that would go in the water, go over to countries far and wide with people on it who never came home. Do you remember those days? You remember hearing about people who would go and spend their lives there. That's how we did mission. Very singular-minded and very much from the General Assembly. What happened because of that? There's some wonderful hallmarks of what Presbyterian World Mission has done in the world. The largest Protestant church in the Middle East is the church that Presbyterian missionaries planted in 1854. It's the Egyptian Evangelical Church in the Synod of the Nile. The Presbyterian Church pioneered education for women in Korea, Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, and Egypt. In fact, back then, before the Presbyterian Church brought education into these countries, women had a place in society that was never recognized. And yet one of the most important things that the Presbyterian Church has done in the world has, has really been to raise the status of women, to educate women, to make a difference in communities through that education. It's made a huge difference in combating poverty. Uh, Terry, it's, uh, it's my lack of education in the Presbyterian uh, Church, but when did the Presbyterian Church start? How, how many years ago? I mean, what was the, the time frame? You know, probably it was Calvin 500 years ago. He was the, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, John Calvin. His, he was 500 years ago was his birthday, what, in 2010? So um, it started during the Reformation. It's all part of the Reformation theology. Thank you. You're I shaking your head. Well, what's very interesting too is that our government, our government was really established as a, after the Presbyterian Church. It's mo our government's modeled on the Presbyterian Church polity. So Presbyterians have been very, very instrumental. It was a Presbyterian who founded the United Nations and who created that whole work. So we've been very instrumental in the governance of our country and in the world. In 1955, in Japan, Yodogawa Christian Hospital was started with a gift of $200,000 from the Presbyterian Women's Thank Offering. What's amazing about this is that this hospital just has been so amazing and the growth has been incredible that last year they built this brand new hospital <coughs> and they made a gift of $200,000 back to the Presbyterian Mission Agency as a sign of solidarity and thanking us for what we did in Japan to help that hospital get started. So Presbyterians have had amazing impact in the world. And 
it's been a holistic ministry. It was founded with the idea that it would definitely be holistic, meaning that it was important to understand the whole spirit part of evangelism, that what we do is plant churches. And so we've planted churches all these 175 years. We've built schools. The mind has been an extremely important part of us to focus on. So schools have been really important, as well as hospitals and healing. Is it hard to see that? But it's mind, body, and soul that we've focused on. For 175 years, Presbyterian World Mission has built churches, schools, and hospitals around the world. And how have we done that? The Presbyterian work in the world has been funded all these years by what has been collected in the pews by Presbyterians. And so what we've seen happen is that giving in the church has changed. And what used to come in through the collection baskets to fund the work in the world is not the same anymore. In fact, what we're saying is the river has moved. The river done moved. And let me tell you about this slide. This is a really great bridge. That bridge was built by a Japanese company and engineers, and they just were astounded at how wonderful that bridge was. But the river moved after Hurricane Mitch. This is in Honduras. You remember Hurricane Mitch in 1998? Actually, Habitat for Humanity had some people down um, in Nicaragua at the time. That's a wonderful story sometime. I'll have to tell you about that rescue. But the river moved. So that bridge isn't really helping us anymore, is it? There's the bridge to nowhere. What does that tell us also about this? Maybe this is not the most effective way to do world mission. And in fact, it's not even how we do world mission anymore. This is more like what we're doing today, what's happening today with Presbyterians in the world. So that anyone can do mission, any congregation, any person. Do you have a question, Dan? No, we get feedback. Oh, okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages about doing mission this way. What are some of the advantages about doing mission by the Presbyterian Mission Agency deciding where and when and who to go? Those little boats are less expensive than that bridge. <laughs> yeah. No, you can get more places. Well, let's talk about the advantages to this way. Well, the, the, the you, you basically have expressed the advantage quite well by recounting the history. I don't think there's a denomination or a, or a religious sect on the, on the earth, perhaps other than the Roman Catholic Church, which has been vastly more huge than the Presbyterians, that have created more hospitals around the world. So this system provided the means for a narrowly focused, precise vision, we're gonna go to Egypt and build the Tonta Hospital. And, and, and it, we'll just send a team and we'll do it, and it'll be a self-sustaining thing after we're done. And that's, that's maybe the advantage for, for this system, to get the word out to evangelize a nation, uh, and, and that system worked well in that case. And, and your mm -hmm. explanation of that 175-year history recounts that very well. And in fact, right now, we're able to say that, that we know statistically 
and research that's been done that there are at least 94 million people in the world who are attending churches that have been planted and that were established by Presbyterians in the world. So let's talk about what are some of the disadvantages to this. Only a few could go. Um, it, it wasn't, it didn't involve a whole congregation maybe. It didn't involve all Presbyterians. We maybe didn't know what was happening, what God was doing in the world. So what are some of the advantages to this? Maybe. Well, teams can go for a, a period of time. You could, you could gather up a team from a congregation and go to Poland and rehab some houses and be back home right. in two weeks and your ordinary life right. can resume. Yeah. Sue? Well, there's no limit to how quickly you can strike. Right. <laughs> no limit. Jerry? Uh, one, of, one of the big problems with, with anything you're doing, whether it's mission or whatever, is you start it and then the funds run out and then it peters out. Right, it may not be sustainable. And, and you know, there are so many stories of mission groups that go, and Presbyterians who end up there at the same time and this congregation didn't know that this congregation was gonna be there. They go with their buckets of paint and the local people say, you know what, we need the school building painted so why don't you paint it this color? and they paint it white, and then two weeks later, another Presbyterian group comes down, and they want to do something, because Presbyterians want to do something, and so the local people say, well, this school building needs painted, so here's green, why don't you paint it green? And we've had stories where there's so many people go, where it's not connected, where there's no understanding of what mission really is, and they're doing the same projects over and over again, really not accomplishing much. Another very sad story is a, a church, Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church up in New York on Madison Avenue, decided that they wanted to build schools in Malawi. So they raised $100,000 and sent $100,000 to Malawi to build schools. They had contacts there. They, um, they really had trust and expectation that these schools would be built. They knew who they were talking to. They did not go through the denomination. This was a partnership that they established by themselves. And three or four years later, they decided they wanted to go see the schools. So they got together a mission trip, they went over there, and there were no schools. They saw the leaders of the denomination that they had been helping driving around in nice cars. They, there were no schools. That church, learn that lesson and from, from then on called us and said, we really want to be mindful of what we're doing. We want to work in partnership with the denomination because the reality is we have 175 years of building partnerships toward effective, sustainable, and effective mission. So, Jerry. Get that feedback going. Uh, one of the things, a perfect example of this is you know, I've had people tell say to me, why do you want to go to the same church in the Indian Reservation? Well, uh, I can give you one good reason. There are a couple of churches around there that have started up and collapsed uh, a couple of times since we started going out there. But these people count on us. We've got a relationship. 
They care about Christ Presbyterian Church, and we do them. Right. And you got a relationship, and that's what you got to have to sustain that's anything. Exactly, it. It's really a relationship. And that's my question about these groups that go here and there to help for a week or two. Um, to me, going out to the Indian Reservation, one of the really important parts of that is going back again. Right. To let the people know that you do care. Not that it was just an experience, I wanted to go on a mission trip and it was all for me, right. but to make that relationship. Right. So you wonder, you know, when they go and paint a school, is it really, I mean, that's great. Mm -hmm. And usually people really appreciate right. the help, but is it really showing Christ's love and exactly. care? Um, like I, we're trying to do. I just gave Wendy a book this morning. It's, the title is called When Helping Hurts. You know, thinking of her upcoming um, trip to Guatemala. And, and one of the, you know, we, Session was invited to vote about that trip, and I said I would like to, to make sure that we connect with our Guatemalan <laughs> mission coworkers who are there, who are building, who know the cultural differences, who have relationships there, so that we're not going to fall into that same trap to get all excited about going to Guatemala for 10 days and, and not have a relationship with people who really have been commissioned by us in the Presbyterian Church <laughs> to help us as um, congregants and members to go and have faithful and effective mission because the relationships are already there. And that's one of the things that World Mission um, spent some time in the last four or five years looking at a, a strategic direction to get more congregations involved in the faithful and effective partnership mission, the relationship mission. So the vision statement of World Mission is that God's people are connected in effective mission to provide that compelling witness of Jesus Christ in a globalized world, to engage U.S. Presbyterians and global partners for faithful and effective mission, growing together as communities of mission practice. And I'll tell you what we mean when we talk about communities of mission practice. There's U.S. Presbyterians, and that's us. Then there are our global partners. So one of the things that changed when we quit getting on that big boat and just going over, and how many of you have read the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver? Have you read that? Jim, you would love, you would love that. It's mission in the Congo, and it's how mission used to be done back in the day when we got on the boat. And it was terrible. There was some things about it that were just tragic and awful. And what we've learned is that it's not really beneficial for people in the United States to come with their answers to what's happening in that community and just kind of parachute in and say, this is what you need. And all of these non-governmental organizations have been set up to come in and make a difference, when actually what we've learned in the Presbyterian Church and it, it really started changing in the 50s and 60s, is that we wanted, we had planted so many churches all those years, and now these churches were working, and they were working with their local communities. So what would happen if we could go work with the partners there, with the churches there, and join them to accomplish their mission in the world? How much we learned from that, and how important that relationship became, so that we then, as U.S. Presbyterians can partner with our global partners and not just swoop in and come back. World Mission is 
is that glue that can keep us together. And that's the very many mission coworkers we have, 185 missionaries that are in the world in places where they are helping us as U.S. Presbyterians connect with our global partners. So that sweet spot, that area right in the middle is where all three come together and that's what we call a community of mission practice. When we really are establishing that relationship and making the difference that they've already identified in their community is needed. One of the perfect examples of you saying go in and change things for them. Uh, about 20 years, 30 years ago now, uh, churches were part of this too. Uh, we went in there and uh, plowed up the native grasses that would live with the droughts and so forth like that and planted wheat and barley and oats and so forth. Well, what happened? Those that didn't get enough rain, those all died, the sand blowing all over and they got no food. Oh, it's amazing all the things that we did, that we've done and even still do in the name of Christ that are detrimental to the people who we think we're serving. So, strengthening faithful and effective mission by working together. And, and so World Mission has actually decided because of the last four years of working with our global partners, working with people in the church, there were 1,500 to 2,000 people who weighed into um, deciding what we should be focused on because there's so many things in the world, but what would be three critical global issues that we really should be focused on. And these issues came out of global partners saying, you know, you're coming and you're putting a Band-Aid on, but what about making a difference? What are the three critical issues that we need to be partnering with our global partners? Strengthening the church's witness to the good news in Jesus Christ. What's the, what's the other one? Well, evangelism, we've got yeah, to carry, okay. we have to carry the message, the healing message of Christ in the world. Reconciliation. Reconciliation in cultures of violence, including our own. What does that mean? There are so many places in the world that we can come and work in partnership to really make a difference. South Sudan is one of those places that, that if we can spend some time there, we can really show God's love and help in that reconciliation. This is uh, Doug Baker, Doug and Elaine Baker, and they're working in Ireland. I have a video that you're gonna get to um, see some of these amazing ministries that are happening in the world and addressing the root causes of poverty. Jerry, that's what you were talking about, especially as it impacts women and children. What is that? What are the root causes of poverty? If we don't know what they are, how do we address them and how do we make a difference so that it's not just bringing a bunch of rice to feed them, but how to help them grow the rice so that they can become a living community. So now I'm gonna show a video, Rich. Somebody <laughs> that really outlines the three critical global issues. Um, we want to click on that one right there. Ministry the bit, not that partner, partner, that one.
Can you hear well enough? You can turn it up a little. Can you hear it okay? Than 50 countries, almost 200 Presbyterian mission workers serve alongside our global partner churches and organizations, supported by Presbyterians throughout the United States. Let us share with you stories of a few of our mission co-workers who are working together on three critical global issues that have been identified for us by our global partners, mission workers, and Presbyterians across the United States. Together, we're daring to address the root causes of poverty especially as it impacts women and children. We're sharing the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ together with other members of the global church. And we're working on reconciliation amidst cultures plagued by violence, including our own. Northern Ireland is a society that's moving out of conflict. Fortunately, there's been a massive reduction in violence over the last decade but there's still deep division. Those who are pro-British and those who are pro-Irish live side by side, but often quite separately. And sadly, sometimes with one of these between them to help keep the peace. Over 50% of the population still live in districts that are over 90% their own ethnic, religious, political grouping. So much separation makes it easy for misunderstanding, prejudice, and fear to flourish. And although they do now cooperate in a power-sharing government, the major political parties are still largely divided along ethnic and religious lines. Added to that, there's a huge legacy of hurt and suffering from 40 years of fighting, particularly for those who experienced violence firsthand. Our building was destroyed in an arson attack, a sectarian arson attack in 2002. It could have been a very negative experience for the congregation. But thanks to the work that had developed over the years with Doug Baker and the Peacemaking Committee of our Presbyterian Church, we were able to see it as an opportunity, an opportunity for reconciliation. Our building is situated right in an interface between two groups of people. One that's pro-British and the other is pro-Irish. They normally would be opposing. But we now have the opportunity to use our building to bring those two groups of people together. One of the ways that PCUSA has helped us is through the Young Adult Volunteer Programme. We've had young adult volunteers over the last six years, and they have assisted our youth in various ways, including involving our young people in peacemaking activities and cross-community events. I have been blessed to have the backing of PCUSA for over 30 years now in an area to which I feel called to ministry by God. The multiplier effect of Doug's ministry is truly remarkable. Over the years, he's mentored more than 100 young adult volunteers who, after a year of service with him, have come home to our congregations and communities and now work in a wide array of remarkable ministries, ranging from conflict mediation, to the prevention of domestic violence and bullying in schools. Bangkok Institute of Theology is one of the two seminaries 
under the Church of Christ in Thailand, which is PCUSA's uh, partnering organization. The purpose of BIT is to train uh, servant leaders for ministry in the Thai church and beyond. We work with uh, clergy as well as lay people, men and women. Primarily, we teach English for theological purposes from the freshman to senior class. But our heart and our vision go beyond the classroom. We are very interested in investing in our students uh, to grow as Christ's disciples, uh, to have a heart for outreach and also uh, for mission and uh, disciple making. Our desire is to invest in their lives and be available to our students. We enjoy spending time with them, listening to them, praying and encouraging them, sometimes challenging them to, to grow in their relationship with Christ and to discover and develop the gifts that God's given them for ministry. The Fujis are just two of our many, many Presbyterian mission workers who work alongside our global church partners, helping them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Peru, thousands of children are sick because of forces beyond their control, because of the way that an otherwise legitimate profit motive can result in pollution and sickness for vulnerable communities. I work with Joining Hands in Peru, a network of churches, NGOs, and community organizations working together with churches and presbyteries in the United States to address the root causes of poverty. The injustice that we are focused on is found in La Roya. The issue is that La Roya is highly contaminated. In fact, it has been described as one of the 10 most contaminated cities in the world. The primary cause of the contamination is a metal smelter that is owned by a U.S. corporation. In a city with almost 11,000 children, a 2005 study showed that 97.2% of the children have lead poisoning. Pregnant women are especially at risk. Scientific studies show that babies in La Roya are born with lead in their blood, potentially affecting their cognitive development. Presbyterian advocacy has begun a tidal shift of awareness and concern, leading to news coverage in Peru and in the United States. And ultimately, the government of Peru has now begun to enforce environmental law. One beautiful result of this crisis is that the children of La Arroya are becoming empowered to speak up and advocate for themselves with the support from the Presbyterian Church USA. Cambialo, which means change it, is a group of children who suffer from lead poisoning. And their mission is to use new technologies and creativity to give themselves and their families a strong voice. Through gifts from the Presbyterians, from around the United States, a grant has helped Cambialo produce and present weekly radio spots. These radio programs have brought international attention to this situation. JED represents the many Presbyterian mission workers who have left home and family behind to go into the world to address the root causes of poverty, especially as it impacts women and children. And we invite you to join this movement. Imagine if thousands of Presbyterian congregations address these three critical global issues together. The impact could be phenomenal. Women and children released from the grip of poverty. 
violence dramatically reduced, and thousands upon thousands of people coming to know the saving and the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. Presbyterian World Mission will send as many mission workers as our church will support, but we can't do this without you. Won't you join us in this critically important task? Thank you. Jed Cobal was one of the young adult volunteers. He served as a young adult volunteer before he became uh, into full-time mission service. So he's one that um, Hunter Farrell was talking about. He did not serve with Doug Baker, but he, we've got an amazing young adult volunteer program. We send young adults out for a whole year of service. We say one year of service for a lifetime of change. I had an opportunity to hear um, Pastor Liz Hughes talk about when their church had been bombed out. And it was pretty amazing when she was um, explaining it to the audience that I was a member of at that time with tears. She talked about how um, folks had gathered together from the other side and brought a donation of $10,000 to that church to make a difference in the rebuilding. And when she told that story, she said, that was when they realized that they had solidarity, that that gift meant so much to them to make a difference in rebuilding their church. And so there's amazing stories that happen um, as a result of the relationships that we've been able to establish there. Now, how do I get back to my PowerPoint? Thank you. I'm in the wrong. <laughs> we send and support Esther Wakeman. And um, in fact, what are some of the things that we can be doing in her support? I know that our church is, is giving to her support annually. We can be praying for Esther. And so I'm going to pass out little prayer cards for you to take. I'd love for for us to even have these in our pews. You can hang them on your refrigerator. Esther and Rob need our prayers continually because they are ones who um, could have been somebody that got on the boat and went there. They've been career. She's been there over 30 years. We all know that from the time that we sent Esther. And you know her story. So I wanted to um, talk a little bit about the Swahili proverb if you want to travel quickly, go alone. If you want to travel far, go together. And this is something that, I, that just brings my heart joy. We had uh, one of our congregations who was very excited about our prayer cards because we have one for every mission worker. And they created a bulletin board in their hallway with all of the Presbyterian mission workers and showing exactly where they worked in the world. And isn't that very impressive? And did you know that we did that? That's one of the things that um, when I took this position, I didn't know that we had so many wonderful missionaries in the world. And partly the reason I didn't know is because we didn't know. I don't know that our congregation realizes what the Presbyterian Church is doing in the world, how Presbyterians are making a difference and serving God. And so, my call to this position has really been to tell the story, to go out and proclaim what God is doing in the world so that we know, because I think that's been one of the things that has been lacking over the last 
20, 30 years especially. There was a day where missionaries came back, you know, and came and visited, and we know Esther comes when she can, but that kind of fell, and partly the reason it did is because we counted on money coming in on the offerings, and it, we were a funds-receiving, funds-spending organization. Whatever we received, we spent, and we didn't think that we needed to tell the stories and let people know what God was doing with the money that they invested. Well, things have changed, and now we know that Habitat for Humanity does a really good job at that. In fact, we've got that wall downstairs with five or six houses that we've built, and um, how amazing our congregation is in responding to need. But, but we at the Presbyterian Mission Agency have not been in congregations nearly as often as Compassion International or Habitat, and that's one of the things that we're spending our time doing is really coming back to our congregations and saying, look at what we're doing in the world that you can be a part of. So let's talk what questions you might have. Um, I, I always like to close with the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, if we're not getting the money through collections, where are we getting it? We, we are actually coming out and talking to congregations and asking for um, sessions to support the mission workers in ways maybe that they have not done before. So maybe a session would come to the, the church to talk about, let's do this funding for this coworker. We've got, we come out and we spend time with individuals and we ask individuals who have a heart for, for mission in the world to make special gifts above and beyond what they would be giving. So you do talk to individuals too? Yes, we do. Dick, you're next. Let me talk to uh, you. know, I, no, I don't, don't take this in the wrong way, but you know, they aim at the women and children, but now know that the lead also wipes out the, the uh, bone marrow and the testicular function and the brain of the men too. And those little boys, are, they're going to be in just as big a trouble. Well, the children are, are boys, right? Boys are children. Yeah, right. So, right. And, and actually, what's very, there's a book out there called Half of the Sky, which is an amazing reality that if you can educate a girl, if you educate, and because girls don't get educated, and so by saying women and children, we're able to say, we've got to focus on educating girls in the world, because when you educate a girl, the, the reality is that the community is impacted, because the, the, the woman, the mother, brings more back into the community. Men overseas especially, often disappear, they're not committed, the whole um, alcohol issue happens where they might get a paycheck and spend it all drinking, and so by focusing on women and children, you can really make a difference and impact men also by making sure the women are educated. The men in this country don't realize how lucky they are that that, that is hammered in our education uh, so that uh, we do want to take care of our children right. and so forth. That's right. That may be true, but you show us a glass that we look through at the rest of the world. Part of my problem is when I look through that glass, I'm seeing a reflection of our own culture mm -hmm. in this country. 
and is so dramatically different from the time when the ships moved uh, that we really had something as a nation, as a culture to sell. We don't have that anymore. Right. And uh, I'm wondering what's happening in the reciprocal nature of, of the mission program in terms of then ministering in effect to us. That, and that is happening over and over where um, there are um, churches that we planted all those years ago that are sending missionaries here. Because you're right, there are, there are, we need to be evangelized. We in the United, United States need to be evangelized. Koreans are doing that in an amazing way, in an amazing way. And in fact, we've got a mission coworker who's working in Brazil as a professor, and he's teaching people in Brazil to um, go evangelize in the world, including in the United States. And so the multiplier effect has, has been phenomenal. I, you know, it really does come down to what Tony Campolo was talking to us about when he was here in September, is you have to really pay attention to the spirit and the spirit part of us and the evangelism and, and understanding how important Christ is in our individual lives. And you have to look at the justice issues, the poverty and, and how to make a difference in the world that you're carrying the gospel message for healing and for making a difference in the world to meet people's needs. And that spiritual part is really important. Is there anything that surprised you? Uh, just the image of seeing the world map with just dozens of these prayer cards, I, um, a, a whole collage of thoughts come to mind of, oh my gosh, look at all that we're doing and so much that I didn't know about and I'm thinking that maybe others don't know about, all the people who are um, on the front lines, who are really doing uh, the work of rubber meets the road kind of thing. And um, the idea of how do you minister to those who are ministering to so many? And, and I look at all those cards and I think, how are they being fed and ministered to? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it was just one of the thoughts that came to mind. Well, and one of the ways is that we, in Presbyterian World Mission, care very much about who they are and how we are able to minister to them and gather prayer teams around them and, and really are learning that we need to even become better at that so that the mission coworkers really feel that support. One of the things about this is that we cannot really put this picture on the web because there's 22 mission coworkers here that are tied to countries that they have to be underground, that they are in serious danger in working in the places that they're working and they have jobs that are, um, don't appear to be a Christian job at all. You know, they're a community organizer and that's how they have a visa to work in that country because it, Christians are not allowed to be in, in the countries there. Um, Turkey is one of those, Egypt is one of those, any of the Stan countries. Um, we really cannot be there for Christ. And so we're there working in communities, sharing the gospel message, but doing it in a way that is unknown.
one thing we should one thing that we should uh, thanks Jim. One thing that we should remember is that uh, the church affiliated donations have a much higher percentage of reaching the <coughs> the people not be skimmed off by the scumbums that they're right. in the country. And when we support a mission coworker, we're supporting what they're doing in partnership with our global partners and they it's kind of like um, there, you know, in the United Way, how they have executive, um, where you, if an executive gets invited to go work and volunteer for the United Way for a year or six months. So you're, you're doing a job with the United Way that they have invited you to come to do. It's kind of like that. The partnership is that the organizations and the churches and um, Reconcile is one of them. It's an organization in South Sudan. They need our help, so they've invited us to come and work with them to help in reconciliation efforts in South Sudan. Jim. Go ahead, Dick, you had something. You said that you would send out as many people as you had funding for. Do we have a line of people waiting for funding? Where we do. do. These, where do these people come from? They, they come from our congregations. They come from the Young Adult Volunteer Program. They come when God puts it on their heart that um, he's calling them to work in mission. And, and we've got, the, the reality is that we've got partners in the world who are asking, like today we could fill 70 positions, validated positions that the Presbyterian denomination here has said, yes, we need to figure out how to get a mission coworker to that area right now. We have people that we could send. Terry, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Thank you for this professional presentation. And it's, it's wonderful to see anybody who's as enthusiastic about her work as you are. And it's, it warms my heart to see that. I'm going to end, if I can, with an announcement about next week. But I want to tell a quick personal story. This graphic is an interesting graphic with all the threads that connect and make these contacts. If you went to the next level and the next level of contacts, the screen would be completely covered with red because all of those people are making thousands of contacts over their careers and you wouldn't be able to see anything but a whole screen of red thread. And that's the wonderful thing about it. In about 1950, a young Presbyterian couple John and Anne McGue left the United States to go to Egypt to spend their career. Tragically, within a year or two, the husband, John, was killed in an accidental death taking a bath because an improperly vented gas heater caused all the oxygen to be consumed in the room and he, he, he died. So the young widow, Anne, came back to the States, retrained herself to become a Christian educator, and she was hired by the church that my father served in the 50s in Dayton, Ohio. And I got to know her as a small boy. Now move the clock ahead about, what, 45 years or so. Kathy and I go to England for a vacation for a week on the year that we were married for 25 years. And we were in London over a Sunday. And I said, Kathy, we're going to find a Church of Scotland in London which is not an easy thing to do, but we found one. And we went to worship at a Church of Scotland in London. And afterwards, they had a little coffee and sandwich time. And 
we decided we'd stay for that because we didn't have any other plans for lunch. And we met the pastor and his wife, and I saw them after we met them talking to each other. And the wife was encouraging the husband to go and ask us something. And he walked across the room and he said, you know, it's a, it'd be a rare chance if this, is, if this would happen, but would you know Ann McGue? And I said, yes, and I told her the story. He said, well, I was a seminary classmate with John. Wow. Now, that would be one of those little threads yep. that happens and that would cover that whole screen. And, and to, it made me think of my father. It made me think of when I was nine years old. And here we were in the Church of Scotland on a whim as much as anything yeah. else. And, and so we got the chance to talk about John and Ann McHugh. I never knew John, but I got to know the, the, the and she came into that church when I was an impressionable little eight-year-old. Yeah. I'm not as impressionable anymore, <laughs> but I was then. Thanks now, for sharing that with us. Next week, we have the beginning of three weeks with Dr. John Lloyd from Kent State University. Keith Lloyd, I said that wrong. I've got John McGue on my mind. Dr. Keith Lloyd, who spoke to us last spring on the Old Testament as literature and history. He will now be doing the New Testament as literature and history. So dust off your cap and gown and make sure your mortarboard sits straight on your head because we're going to be in for academic time for the next three weeks. And you can move, at the end of the three weeks, you move your tassel across, whatever, and we'll confer some sort of a degree upon you. We may even pray upon you. Well, let's pray now. That's fine. Do you want to lead? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hour we have spent together in fellowship and conversation and education and enlightenment. Bless all of the workers represented on the screen with the red thread connecting them to us. Guide them in their work, strengthen them in their work, sustain them in their work. In this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you all very much. Thank you. I received a mailer. Uh, I surmise it came from the Presbyterian Lion. if you know what that is. That I do, yeah. And it said, don't contribute to the missions program. It's a bunch of left-wing people who are against free enterprise. Da -da 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 -da. Isn't that sad? What? Isn't that sad? Well, it that struck me that way. Yeah. I, yeah. Does it look like I'm against free well, enterprise? I, I and wonder if you've met missionaries. Have you met any of them? Oh, what yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not left wing. They're, <laughs> you know, the most important thing in their lives is to do what Christ is asking them to do. The laymen, you know, that it's, it's just very sad what they do. And, and they, um, I, I don't know why. How, how, how are you doing? So fond of Better, so. yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. know what that was. Yeah, I'm, every time I hear about what they say out there, it's just, I don't, I don't understand. Very strong. Well, she's very strong against the world mission. She's really strong. But it's not just communists almost, yeah. is what they were saying. That's very sad. Yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. So then we have double work to do. <laughs> so tell me, how insulated are you and your circle from the 
discord that's going on in the Presbyterian Church generally, the national church and the problems with mayor. I'm not insulated from that. Um, what, what I know about that, Jack, is that um, God gave us the 